wanna be a starving artist. I don't wanna be a starving artist. I just want to find a way to live. Hello, all my fellow creatives and existential wanderers. I'm Anna Eastley, and welcome back to Starving Artist, the podcast that talks about art, money, and how to make that Venn diagram overlap a lot more. This week, we've got an interview with Stephen Payton, who is a Melbourne-based contemporary artist. For those of you who haven't come across Stephen's work, it explores colonialism, tradition, race, conflict in a way that's both intelligent and sharp. He works actually across a bunch of different mediums from painting to sculpture to installation. He's also projected his video work into deep space. Now, Stephen's work is not only in deep space, it's also everywhere in the kind of traditional contemporary fine artist sense. He's shown in all the major galleries in Australia and is in the collections of the National Gallery of Australia, the National Gallery of Victoria, the Melbourne Museum, the Brooklyn Art Library in New York. His work is is everywhere. Now, I don't know many contemporary artists that are that capital S successful in that way. Certainly not well enough to ask them what their bank account looks like. (laughs) And that's what the first half of this interview is about. It's the nuts and bolts. It's the, how did you do that? And the, so are you like rolling in money now? And it's Stephen telling me about the reality of surviving on $8,000 a year. But the conversation actually became much more than that. Because I was curious why Stephen seemed so much less anxious about money than me. And what came out of that, which is in the second half of this interview, was a conversation firstly about artistic integrity and how money comes into that, but also about how our background informs how we think about money. The conversation actually really got me to question my own views about money a community and and shame actually i think these kinds of conversations are fucking great but they're also me anyway i find them quite hard and a little bit scary so it's why you'll hear me say things like this in this interview you are taking me to my edge <laughs> as a person <laughs> interviewing being like oh God, I hope I'm not screwing this up. Stick around for that. And one last thing before we get started. Because we recorded this interview at the artist studios that Stephen runs, there's a bit of background noise. But most notably, there's also a bit of creaky chair noises, which I'm sorry, but I could not remove for you, my friends. So I just want to let you know that if you're listening on headphones, it's not your chair that is creaking. Your chair is doing a great job, probably. Okay, well, let's do this. To start with, can you tell us who you are and what you do in whatever way you like to explain that? My name is Stephen Payton. I'm a, an artist based in Melbourne. I, I usually don't like do that myself, that bit. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? So I don't know. My name's Stephen Payton. I'm blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't usually do that bit. 
That's the bit that I do. Yeah, That's yeah. my job to say that kind of stuff. You're kind of a contemporary artist. You are represented by a gallery and your work is in like a lot of national collections and stuff like that. So we didn't know each other before I did this interview with you, but it was really interesting getting to talk to you because I was like, oh, wow, here's this person, you know, up and coming, but I don't know, emerging mid-career, I don't know, big in the <laughs> art world. And, you know, your work is in the National Gallery of Australia, the National Gallery of Victoria. You've had an exhibition at Melbourne Museum. Your work currently is in the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. And I was like, what does that look like? Does that mean you're selling heaps of work? How does it work? Does that mean you have, like, maybe you're rolling around in money? And I was wondering, is that true? No, it's not. <laughs> I'm able to do a lot of things, but, you know, you do need money sometimes to do that, but I'm definitely not rolling around in money. <laughs> but do people have this idea that you are? Uh, I think so. I think people think that I am loaded because I run this studio and I've got, got the warehouse and so I've set set up this studio in a, in a warehouse and, you know, there's multiple artists here so everyone's paying rent the building and I run the space but also having shows in big institutions I think there is a stigma that you are somehow loaded because you can show in these places or something or that that sort of elevates your your work in value in monetary value it sometimes is a bit strange because the art market is all over the place at the moment so Maybe in the past that might have been true, but I think at the moment it's it's not. Before you were in this place that you are now, you had a background in environmental science and you had a stable job yeah. and you kind of decided to leave that. Can you tell me about that decision? Yeah, I mean, I had a stable job in the government. I mean, that was when I was in my early 20s. That was like 10 years ago. And my decision to leave that job was that I was interested in learning more. I wanted to go back to uni and... I'd done an undergrad in environmental science and I, I wanted to do a master's or like do something else to learn more about the area that I was in. And I guess I found it really hard to find a career path because I was interested in so many things. So I was interested in cultural heritage management and archaeology and things like that because I was already doing some of that work. But I wasn't able to sort of line that up with the job and things. So I just I ended up leaving. And then I started another degree, which was um, looking at entrepreneurship. So it was a commerce master's and I, I really didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was interested in it for the sake of, I guess, doing something that could help out my community where I'm from. I'm Aboriginal. I'm from Gippsland, Gunai and Monero. And so I did that thinking that maybe I can help out my own community and we can get some skills, some like really, really needed skills in business and really wasn't totally into it. And I sort of brought a lot of my art practice into that degree and I was trying to sort of lay a foundation or a basis for economic exchange or, or trade and trying to do this cross-cultural thing. They weren't into it. So I just I ended up leaving that. And in that time, I was doing my own artwork, which I'd always done sort of on the side. So I'd, I'd done it all the way through and did it in high school and decided that that was the point that I needed to go, right, I'm, if I'm going to be an artist, I need to go for it now and I need to try this now. 
while I'm still young and then I can bounce back if I if something goes wrong. And I did it and once you're in, you're in. There's no going back to having a full-time day job, government job or like, you know, there's sort of no need for that because you're working for yourself. You're your own boss. And in terms of the money, you know, because people always talk about the money, art being an expensive exercise because I was already doing it as a hobby on the side from when I was young, I had a lot of materials and I had a lot of things sort of put aside or people would give me stuff, especially paints. So I'd get a lot of like oil paints and like sets of paints and things and for presents and whatever else. And I just stockpile all that stuff because occasionally I'd do painting. Yeah, I have to say one thing that I've really noticed from talking to you is that you're really resourceful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't waste anything. That's that's the goal. And I don't know, I see that um, some people are quite wasteful in their art practice. I think, you know, people might do something and if it, if it doesn't work or whatever, they throw it out and smash it up or burn it or do whatever they want with it. I sort of don't really operate in that way. I don't really do like little tests or do you know what I mean? Like you, do, you might do a little tiny yeah. test on a little tiny piece of, canvas and go this is the sort of thing that I'm looking for but you're really just testing the actual material how they're working together and then I just go for it and sometimes it works and then sometimes it doesn't and you know sometimes you might have a room full of stuff that no one wants and that's fine like you just kind of keep chipping away at what you're doing but being resourceful is the key and taking as many things as you can get you know if someone gives you something it's just take it and especially paints you know you might use it later on anything any things that I can gather I'll I'll get and potentially use it down the track so I generally try and keep a few things just stockpiled and you never know when you might need stuff and I was um so I recently went to VCA and I was shocked at how much stuff was in that bin afterwards people just throwing out really good, actually expensive art materials, copper plates, stretcher bars, all that sort of stuff, which are quite specific. I just pulled all them out of the bin and I'll, I'll use them eventually one day, but, you know, I didn't have a plan for them at the time. But I think I don't really care what people think about me if I'm going through a skip. Who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're still doing it, so if you can do that sort of stuff but you know the th- the thing that i have noticed is there was there was a flip i guess from when i first dived into it full time and quit my job and and quit the research that i was doing i was living for probably 4 years i think really just below what is the official poverty line i think it was like $10,000 or something or $12,000 a year. I was living on like 8,000 bucks a year. Wow. Um, and just trying to make that happen, you know. Um, and I had only 8,000 bucks a year to play with and to, to live off. Sometimes I was paying rent. Sometimes I wasn't paying rent. Sometimes I was paying for food and sometimes I wasn't. What happened was you sort of experience a flip where you're not paying for exhibition space anymore or you're not paying to show your work. Something flips and you're getting paid to do that stuff. So you can sort of get by on on little things there where you, you might get a couple of hundred bucks for doing a talk or you might get a couple of hundred bucks for having a show. And then 
had a few people help me out as well, like a few little commissions uh, just out of the blue. And there was one person who's quite a famous artist now, and I really remember what he did for me. He bought some of my artworks early on when I was sort of struggling, and I really appreciated that. And I, I sort of undersold myself. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, there were some small drawings on paper. I was like, oh, maybe... I don't know, two hundred dollars or something. Didn't didn't really know at the time. He's like, "Oh, that seems too cheap. How about I give you a thousand bucks?" I'm like, "That's great, thank you." Well, if you're someone um, who's living off eight thousand dollars a year, a thousand dollars is like, wow, that's yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. significant. Yeah. So there was, I mean, there was five drawings. So it was like he really liked them, and so I was like, you know, it, once you start doing that sort of thing, and people start paying attention to what you're doing, but also you're doing little things like that or having little shows or doing little talks here and there, it all starts to add up and, and then you can actually, I guess, sort of say that you're making a living even though you're not because it's kind of your business as well. You have to treat it like your business, ABM, small business thing. You have to be a little bit business savvy in that way as well to keep enough money to keep that going as well as keep yourself going. Sometimes you might dip into that money if you need it and then you pay it back later so it's like so do you keep those two things separate like do you have separate bank accounts and stuff yep yep so um i do now i didn't before i guess i sort of um also in my head kept a lot of this stuff and kept a lot of my accounting (laughs) in my head and whether i was ahead or not that sounds potentially stressful it was really stressful if i could do it again i would write it all down but just I didn't like taking time out of my day to write things down that I already knew. Mm. And I, I know that sounds a bit silly, but, you know, when you're dealing with such a small amount of money, it's not really that important. I, I think people get really caught up in these tiny little amounts of money and it's a bit of a hard thing to say because I know that it is hard for some people but, you know, like 50 bucks or 100 bucks, it's not a lot of money for most people who have a job. So you need to be precious with that money, but you also need to not worry about it too much that it stresses you out and stops you from doing your actual job, which is being the artist and, and doing your artwork. So you have to be resourceful with it. But it's like what I was saying before, I treat money like a tool. And it's there to be used. And those small amounts, like you just, they're there to be used. Use it up, like make it into art, make it into your practice and don't treat it like it's your money because it's not your money. It's the art's money. It's your artwork's money. It's your business's money. Don't treat it like it's yours. And then you can sort of use it as as a tool and as, as something that can help you build your art practice. That's a really interesting reframe of like the money doesn't even belong to you. The money belongs to your work. Yeah. And so then how you use it is going to be different. Yeah, I guess it's just about being resourceful with that and being precious and not precious at the same time. I don't I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some German word for it, but um, <laughs> I don't think we have one. So can we talk about where you're at now? Because I want to talk a little bit more about your attitude with your work and with how money fits into it. But I just want to first get an idea for people of what are your income streams? 
So you have obviously selling work and then doing shows because, as you said, you now get paid to do shows. And then you also run a set of studios in Brunswick. Is that most of the things? Yeah, I mean, that's everything. Occasional sales as well. So um, I sell some of my artwork and I might sell a few pieces a year and that sort of helps out. But your, your, your gallery takes half of all of that and that's fine. They, they work for that and they should work for that. And if they're not working for your 50%, then find somewhere else. <laughs> um, but it's your work and it's your business. I mean, business is a bit of a weird word, but it's your, it's your practice. And if you can keep that pool of money sort of helping your own practice, yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like I get a whole lot out of all of this that I do in terms of money and finance. I still struggle to pay my rego on my car. I still struggle to pay for a lot of things that normal people with an income pay for because my priority is on the practice and keeping this running. And I guess sometimes I think that some things uh, can wait or other things might be more important to to pay for. And I don't have a credit card. I can't get a credit card because I've got bad credit from a mobile phone bill from like 10 years ago or something (laughs) like I don't have a credit card, but I don't, I never want a credit card. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it would help me a lot, but I mean, I've, I've also borrowed a bit of money off people as well. So I've got some friends that, you know, can help me out if it really comes to it. But I mean, there's been a couple of times where I haven't been able to pay the rent here and, you know, the landlord's like, yeah, I'm paid the rent. Yeah, we've told you like three times, you know, we're going to kick you out. I'm like, oh my God, this is so stressful. Like it's so stressful trying to do this and do everything else and, you know, manage because you're managing everyone else as well. Like it's not just the money, but you're managing those relationships with people. And the landlord has been really, really good here and really, really flexible. And I do always paid my rent and made that rent up, even if it's like, two months behind or you know whatever I've always made that effort to do that I say to people like some months that I might have empty studios or something and I have to cover that I have to cover if there's no one in the studio if I've got multiple empty studios that I'm trying to fill in one month I have to somehow find that money to make that up to pay that rent so sometimes that's what I've had to do and Pulling like $2,000 out of thin air is pretty hard. Um, I just don't know how I do it. I don't know how I managed to do that. But I have been, I guess what I said before was taking what you can get, taking like the little jobs here and there that add up to a bit of money and then forward planning so that you know you've got some money sitting there for the next month if you know there might be some issues in that month or two, three months ahead, you've got to be really onto that and that's why even six months ahead, you should be thinking about where you're going to get your money from. Do you have a job? Do you have things lined up six months ahead after this other project that you're doing or this project? And So you, you do need to forward plan and think about those things. But sometimes I do not know how I do it. Like I just land on my feet. And when I first started here, I was digging holes, like doing labor work. And that's quite highly paid so yeah go do a a couple of weeks here and there of labor and hard labor (laughs) digging holes and then use that money and put it straight back into here and not into my pocket and I guess not buying things as well like not I don't 
really buy clothes or shoes, as you can see from my shoes. Any like luxury things that I, I don't know, seemingly don't need. I, I don't really feel like I need to be a fancy pants and live this lifestyle that people think is the lifestyle of the artists. Like uh, I really hate that word when people talk about what it means to be a successful artist and they go, oh, it's all about the lifestyle. It's not about lifestyle. <laughs> so when you say that people think it's all about lifestyle as in, oh, it's so much freedom and it's just like very swanny, is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. What it means to be a successful artist, I think, is being able to make and use your money to make the things that you really, really want to make and you can self-fund your own artwork without having to explain to anyone, without having to like apply to boards and explain and write 20-page reports just to get your artwork across some bureaucrat board for them to pay for your work when they, they don't even understand it in the first place. It's interesting you're reminding me of, I think it's Patti Smith who says this, of like as an artist... The thing that you're building is your name. Everything that's associated with your name, your reputation, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that at the end you want to have a good name and not in a like fancy pants way, in a like people respect you because they know that you've done good work yeah. and they know that you will make good work. And that's kind of your currency. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like your word as well. It's a very similar thing. Your artwork is your word. <laughs> That's your reputation right there is your work, what your work is. And being successful in that is being able to achieve the look and feel uh, that you want to create or the whole package and that's associated to your name, not just a flash in the pan. If you want to be a successful artist, you really need to work on your own practice and your own work and develop that into something that is... I guess, well known for what it is, recognisable and being associated with your name. And so I, I guess like not so much being like a household name, you know, because that's a different thing, but, you know, having that recognition and, and respect from both the art world and some of the general public, not all of them, just having that sort of industry respect for your work and having a thing that's recognisable as your work. I think that's what being successful is. It's not the money. It's not about the lifestyle. It's not about any of that crap because it's all crap. Like it's all, that's all that stuff's being sold to people. They don't understand that lifestyle is something that people sell. They sell that to people. So, you know, if you think art is about lifestyle, then you're being sold that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting. I found it interesting talking to you because throughout this project I've talked to like a bunch of different artists and everyone kind of has this, you know, everyone has a slightly different way of doing it. And what I find interesting is seeing how people think about and approach their work and what that means for how that shapes their life. And so what I see with yourself is that for you it really is about the work And that means that everything else, like money, all that kind of stuff, is kind of peripheral. Do you you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me it's all 
about the work. And I, like I said, it's integral to what you're doing. The work is your reputation. It's interesting you say this just because last weekend I watched a bunch of docos that I probably shouldn't have. Yeah. And um, then I got really into this idea of performative authenticity. Yeah. And there's this thing about trying to be authentic and be an artist or whatever, you know, in the creative field. But then the process of sharing the authentic self means that it develops a self-awareness in the way that not only do we curate our social media feed or whatever, a website, blah, 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 but those systems also curate our lives yeah. to the point that how you think about stuff is different. Like, for instance, even today interviewing you, I'm like, should I get a photo? Should we get a selfie afterwards? <laughs> you know, like, because blah, 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 blah. And... These new mediums, to, you know, like they change your thought processes yeah. and what you think in this way that I personally find I can be quite torn, actually. Yeah, it's it's strange because um, a lot of people feel like they become an artist, like you, you know, somehow you have to construct this identity of an artist. And I mean, it's yeah, it's contrived sometimes, I think, in. Yeah, I've had so many people say that to me, like, you must be the artist. You must wear the outfit and be the artist. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I am an artist <laughs> and I'm myself and and I'm doing it. So I wear what I want to wear and I wear what I can wear. I can't afford those outfits because those outfits are being sold to people and those outfits are really expensive. So they are selling that lifestyle to, to these people and, you know, they buy all these designer brand name clothes that I don't really care about clothes. I really couldn't give a shit it's because they get covered in paint half the time anyway. Yeah, when we spoke on the phone before, you said, you said I don't have much money and I don't really care for it, which I was like, oh, wow, that's it's really it is a really different attitude to, you know, most people in the world. Yeah, I know. In I, Western world. Well, it was really funny actually because when I um went to do my Master's in Commerce. It's hilarious <laughs> that you did a Master's in Commerce. I didn't finish it, so I didn't really. I mean, I, I finished writing the thesis mostly, but I didn't do it because I left. I remember them asking us at the start. We sat in a circle and everyone was talking about why they were there and why are you doing a Masters of Commerce? And there was one other comment as well. I think it was like, tell us one thing you like and one thing you don't like and blah, blah, blah. And then why are you doing this course? And just one of those, you know, typical trying to get everyone to know each other, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't like money. And everyone looked at me like, what the hell are you doing here then? <laughs> Isn't this some kind of money worshipping course? I said, no, I think I, I don't like money because um, I think it makes people change. It makes people greedy. It makes people evil, do evil things for money. People will do anything for money. So I don't like it. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, well, you, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing this course. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I was doing it because I wanted to understand how to use the money to help people and use the money to help my own community and help us out of some of the situations that we're in and, you know, do, do things with it. Yeah, and the reality is that 
we live in a system where money is the currency yeah. for making things happen. And so you kind of need to know how it works in some way Absolutely. to be able to do anything. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the rules of the game, isn't it? It's sort of that is the game. So you need to, you need to know how to use it. Um, you know, like I was saying before, I, I see it as a tool. I don't really have any savings. Um, I don't think that people should put money away for perpetuity and, and not do anything with it because, I mean, what are you going to do after you die with the money? Like, where's it going to go and what's going to happen with it? Like, why do people hold on to so much money? I just don't understand it. I was actually talking to my friend about this the other day and he was saying, I think it was a quote from somewhere, I'm not sure where, but it was like we could diagnose all rich people with a hoarding disorder. And it was interesting talking to you because I recognise in me, particularly in the last few years, I've really developed a bunch of anxiety around money. And I think that a big part of that is because, well, it's many things, but also you know, being a woman and getting to that point where other people I know are having kids oh and buying God. houses. <laughs> and also I'm from like, I'm sort of in between a couple of different circles of like young professional people who have kind of normal salary jobs and cr yeah. creatives who, who don't. And thinking about like what my life is going to look like and what the hell am I going to do and being like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and I, talking to you, it makes me think like you don't seem seem to have that same fear, and it makes me wonder where is that difference? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so I don't know what it, like. What do you think is going to happen if if you run out of money? What do you think is going to happen? Like the the sky is going to fall in, and or you get like a big sinkhole is going to open up underneath <laughs> you, and oh, you just. <laughs> this is a great question. I think this is also the first time someone's turned my question back on me. So I think, first of all, I think that this is a bunch of things. At the moment, my thinking is part of it's like I'm from a middle class background. Yeah. And so part of it is like, you know, you learn ideas around money from the people you grew up with, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Part of it is being a woman and being like, holy shit, if in seven years I want to have a kid, how the Am I going to do that? Yeah. How am I going to do that? I mean, another factor for me personally is that I, and I write and I talk a bunch about like mental health stuff yeah. and I've been like using mental health services for over 10 years and I've been in psychiatric hospitals and that stuff's really expensive. Yeah. So that has really scared me a lot. For me personally, every time I go through a big crisis around my mental health and it's pretty expensive, I start considering whether maybe I should have gone and studied medicine. And then I get into it, it, like I get into a whole bunch of anxieties around like, but then I would hate my life anyway. And so like, what's the point? And then feeling like I, like I can't find a way that doesn't terrify me personally. That's me personally. So, so my fears is like, that is a privileged fear. And I, I own that. So it, does that, I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> you, you still you still didn't answer it as to like what's going to happen, what will happen. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was like a typical politician response, is like <laughs> deflecting. <laughs> I love that. I feel like you are just owning me right now, and that's perfect. Um, I think that 
Yeah. So you you talked about it before of like, there's this thing of like personal wealth and then there's accessible wealth, which is like, do you have people around you that can give you money? And so I'm like, well, you know, like there's people around me that I could do that, but I don't know what would happen. I think that, you know, there's many different options. Maybe I, I mean, I already live pretty cheaply, but maybe I would move, you know, somewhere further out from the city or maybe I'd go back to the country and live with my folks or, you know, maybe I'd go back to like, you know, I used to do dumpster diving a lot and, you know, like those kinds of things. So it's what you're saying. It's like lifestyle change. I think what happened for me was I was like, yeah, none of this stuff means anything until the point where I started thinking about like, do I want to have kids? And then I was like, that's when it really scared me. I don't know if that's right. I just know that that fear is there. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I guess. So what, uh, what we're talking about there is your safety net. So like, do you have a safety net? I think sometimes people say that they don't have a safety net here in this country, but you know, I, I think that that's, that's not entirely true. I think there are a lot of services and things to help people if you need help, but it's just about getting over your own thing of letting go of that old lifestyle and, and saying, well, you know, uh, now I'm in a position where I'm not that person anymore. I actually need some help now. You can go and get that. It's interesting you say that because when I was answering your question, I was like, shame. Shame yeah, is a big shame. one. It's like Absolutely. I was thinking, how would I get in that situation? And my thought actually was, I don't imagine myself getting in that situation because I'm so I'm, – there's heaps of shame wrapped in, up into it. And so I think I would do other stuff before I got there. Does yeah. that make sense? Like you're right in that there's this societal expectations – creates fear, shame, guilt around whatever it is we're doing. And then we're going to act in accordance. I suppose for you, I can imagine you're kind of unpacking a bunch of that stuff and being like, yeah, that's actually, that's not necessary for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm playing it out in my mind um, and have been for a long time because it's always there. There's always that fear that all of everything that I'm doing might fall over then I will have to move back to the country and move back to my parents' house, you know, in my 30s and be like, I don't know, stuffed it up or whatever and I'm back and need a job. So then you go and move on down there and do it that way. Or I guess the thing is like the sky is not going to fall in and like you're not going to die or you're not going to fall in a big sinkhole in the ground if something doesn't work. It is a risky game, I think, and it's a risky business and I think what's happening at the moment and I feel really strongly about this is that everyone is passing on that risk to the artist every kind of risk every financial risk that you're taking they're trying to pass it on to the artist and artists are pretty vulnerable because mostly because you don't have either a consistent income stream or a high income stream you've got a fairly sort of normal income but you're doing something that costs a lot of money, you know. So you, your art industry and gallery people and, you know, all those people passing too much of financial risk onto the artist because, I mean, it is a risky game. They take a big risk even just taking you on as, as an artist. But, you know, that's a calculated risk for them. So that risk that you're taking on 
is quite a lot these days, I think, because people do get anxiety about, you know, <laughs> things falling over. And uh, I've, I've had it and I consistently get it as well. But part of that is shame, what you're talking about, that shame of going home and saying, oh, mom, I can't do it anymore. I've stuffed it up. Or that shame of going to your friends and saying, oh, I've really fucked up this couple of months. I'm, I really need some help. That sort of shame, asking for help. I think people hold a lot of that inside and no one really talks about it. Yeah, I guess it's also hard to talk about things just in general in public sphere and in the art world because you're highly scrutinised and, you know, everything you say means something. Also, there's this thing you have to kind of project a certain success to. So in online marketing, they call it social proof. So you want to get enough likes or shares or whatever. And that's how you get your social proof that then you can use that to get other things and build on and blah, 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 blah. One thing I wanted to ask you is, so what you said that you've experienced that fear and that shame. Like, what What do you do with it? I don't know. I mean, it's there. I just... I actually, I'm just confident in my own ability to be able to use my brain to get out of situations that I might be in and think about how I can do something or not do something to help my own cause and help that moving forward, help your practice move forward. I really, really value my education and I think that gives you a lot of tools to move through these things and and think about and not you know, not let it sort of overwhelm you or take over your life, your personal life. This podcast is what I do with yeah. that fear and shame, yeah. is me going like, what do people do with this? Yeah. And then <laughs> being like, how do I make myself an opportunity to ask other people what they do with this kind of question? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't really have that sort of shame. I guess because because I'm Aboriginal and I've you know grown up in a different way of thinking and, and a different culture, that Aboriginal idea of shame is totally different to an Australian version or Western version of shame. It's not really that shameful to say uh, I've run out of money. Like it's not really a big deal. I mean that's my opinion, but I think maybe it's shameful for people if it's like you're successful and then you're not successful and it's like you're you're falling or whatever and, and that's really, really shameful. I don't really have that sort of shame. You know, I'm still going to do my artwork no matter what, wherever I am or whatever I'm doing. I, I have confidence in my ability to gather materials and, and make my artwork. Yeah, it sounds like you have a real confidence in your resourcefulness and you don't really identify with like a bunch of the, you know, like Western shame ideas around money and blah, blah, blah. I don't understand why it would be shameful to lose out or lose lots of money. Money hasn't existed for really that long on the planet. And that idea of trade and exchanges has been there for a long time, but currency and money is not that old and life goes on kind of thing you know it's not all about money one thing i've been thinking about a lot recently is how we build like an idea of safety and security in our life and i think a very western kind of normative idea is that we do that through money yeah and i think that's also a really middle class idea but 
I, you know, I'm just, I'm just a lady. Uh, <laughs> this is just some thoughts I had in my head. But I think another way is through community. But what's kind of in the way of that is like capitalism doesn't encourage us to invest in communal security. Yeah. It encourages us to invest our time and energy into financial security. Yeah. And that if you're an artist causes a lot of terror. I don't know. That's just me thinking. But talking to you, it sounds like you invest a lot more in communal Does that... Do you, do, yeah, does communal no, security communal does that? Security, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I guess the thing is that one of the cultural differences between Aboriginal people and, and Australians and British background is the idea of the individual and being individualistic in what you're doing as compared to being a collective thinker. I think if people could bring themselves around, I'm not talking about communism, I'm not talking about any of those isms, it's just, it's a way of thinking that is different to being individualistic. But unfortunately, when you're in an environment surrounded by individualistic people, just like, (laughs) (laughs) you kind of have to play that game a little bit. So you do have to be a little bit individualistic. You know, for me, I, I do what I can when I can to try and help out. And that helping out is not about money. The thing I've noticed about white people is that So when you ask a white person if they have any money and they say, oh, no, I don't have any money, that means that they have $50,000 in a trust account or they have $10,000 saved, but they don't have any spending money. That's what they mean when they say that. When I say I have no money, it means I have no money, like $0. I don't have any savings. I don't have anything. This is, like, super interesting, by the way. I like like, you are... Taking me to my edge <laughs> as a person <laughs> interviewing, being like, oh, God, I hope I'm not screwing this up. Yeah, so so what point were you at? That individualism, that collective is, I guess, a different concept for, for some people, and especially, I guess, Westerners who are, who are trained in gathering money for themselves and being greedy and trying to build personal wealth. 10 houses, five cars, you know. For me, like, I I don't think I could ever in my life do that. I don't think owning 10 houses for me is something that I could really ethically do knowing that, you know, there's people in my own community who don't have a house or they're never going to have a house. I would feel terrible about that and shameful. I'd feel absolute shame. So that's, that's the shame that I would feel. Which wow. Is the total opposite. The total opposite. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, just to be defensive, I think that I would feel shamed about that too. <laughs> but, but it is the locus of shame. The position of it is the opposite. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would feel. So I think it's a very hard line to walk because there's this idea that you're making lots of money or this perception what you're talking about before that you're somehow being successful by your wealth that you're displaying so if you know if you've got an artist who's like driving around in a BMW people would be like well oh yeah they're loaded you know oh that they're doing really well <laughs> you know for me I'd be like is it about them or is it about their work let's look at their work yeah. who cares if they've got a BMW I think there's this other way that isn't as kind of BMW-y, which is like you assume success when you look at someone's work 
if they're doing particular things with particular institutions. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like what you were saying before of like there's this thing of like, well, if you're in the NGA and the National Gallery of Australia and if you're in the National Gallery of Victoria and all that kind of stuff, yeah. there's this assumption that your work sells for X amount of dollars and that yeah. you have a certain amount of wealth. And I think that that kind of thing is something that people can't, you know, if you get into those places, it's, a, it's an idea that you can't really escape yeah, it is it is very hard. I guess I would tell people to stop watching TV. <laughs> um, don't watch TV. Don't watch movies. Don't watch advertising. Don't watch any of that crap because all of that is telling you you're not good enough. You need to buy more. You need a car. You need a watch. You need to buy a Rolex to be successful. You need to be driving around in a BMW and have a house and a holiday house and a boat. You need a boat to be successful. <laughs> you need I... a ship. You need a yacht. <laughs> if you don't have a yacht, you're not successful. <laughs> I like it even on a smaller level of like you need an avocado saver <laughs> to have a fulfilled life. <laughs> like, you know, like all the things that we invent. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's, I guess, one of the other things about all this stuff is that I see the mainstream creeping into the art world very sneakily and very stealthily, and no one's saying anything about it. No one's doing anything about it. What do you mean by the mainstream creeping into the art world? I feel like these these ideas about lifestyle and wealth and all these things are, are coming into the art world and it's all becoming about money. It's all about I do a painting and that painting took me so many hours. So I did that painting and it took me 20 hours. So I want to be paid for my hourly rate. And that doesn't really work in the arts. So it works in design. It's totally fine in design and architecture and all those things where they have contracts and time contracts. And if you go over time, there's more. It's all worked out. In the arts, I think when people start trying to tie those things down and they start trying to explain every little detail of the thing, it destroys it. It ruins it. And I think that people are, are coming into the art world thinking that it's all about money and it's not all about money. There is money there because you do need money to, to do these things because it's quite an expensive thing to do. And... You know, money does make things happen, but it's not all about money and it shouldn't all be about money. It should be about the artwork and it should be about the integrity of the artist and the artist who's making that work and not just mass pumping out shit and flogging off crap for, you know, a few hundred bucks or dressing up in the outfit like... You know, there's people like become an artist. It's like, I'm sorry, but artists are born. And I think... Rather than made, is that what you rather mean? Rather than made, rather than trained. I mean, art schools don't make artists. Artists come into art schools. You're already an artist before you come into the art school. It's not a uniform. You don't put on like a uniform and become an artist and become part of the artist tribe. I was curious as to what does being a sellout mean to you? Being a sellout means when it does all become about the money and you're like, I don't know, bragging about how much 
you sell your artwork for all the time or maybe bragging about how much money you have or when it comes down to it i think being a seller is compromising the integrity of your work for the sake of money i think that sometimes people do that early in their career to get up there and you sort of do that stealthily and that's totally fine i think you know you do need to sort of get money you need to acquire those tools so if you have to do that I think there's some forgiveness in the early stages. I think there's no forgiveness for people when they make it to the top or they make it up there and they're seemingly successful and have lots of money in. And then they start doing things like doing a commercial or doing things that are sort of not what they've been peddling their whole life and showing people, I guess, these values or ideas that they have and then all of a sudden they just flip on that and go, well... I'm doing this thing and it's so amazing and you should buy a Jag. <laughs> yeah, I suppose everyone, you know, like finds their, I suppose their place. I, I, I don't know. I suppose, I suppose there's kind of a spectrum. Do you see that there's kind of a spectrum in terms of like... I think so, yeah. Like there is some forgiveness for some people doing that sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, people do go, oh, yeah, you know, they've got to do that because they're contractually obligated or they have some deal with their company or whatever that's fine I think you know there is a bit of that and there seems to be a lot of that but I think it's getting worse and worse and I don't think anyone's talking about it I don't think that it's talked about enough I think that sometimes people are sort of a bit oblivious to that sort of thing and maybe it's ignorance like it's willful blindness people just go oh well they did that and uh, we'll just keep going over here and keep promoting that person and that's that's fine we'll just keep doing that they're helping us so you know we'll keep doing that but you know that person might not have as much integrity in their work anymore or they might not be doing these things for the right reasons which is what I was talking about before that whole like lifestyle thing uh, there's another quote of someone, I can't remember these people's names, but saying that, you know, the most inter interesting things about artists is their lives. And I think to some extent that's true, but not their lifestyle. Lifestyle is different to your life. I think that some people would have that confused with creating this, what you're saying before, that, that authentic persona or that authentic view of that person is really a facade when there's no integrity in in their work and i suppose this stuff comes down to like the big questions right which is what makes a good life what is the purpose of art <laughs> you know like where do i fit in all of these things and i think you know like it's been interesting doing this project and talking to a bunch of different people Different people decide what a sellout means to them and what having integrity for their work means to them. I suppose for me, particularly doing this project, I'm interested in getting different people's ideas. It's just so that there's like, yeah, there's this, there's this approach, there's this approach, you know, because it can, I don't know. For me, I think this stuff is this, this is the stuff of life. This is yeah. the, these are the big the, questions. The <laughs> So you're now 32, is that right? I'm semi-denying it. I don't know. I don't think about it anymore. Like I used to think about it 
when I was in my 20s, I'm like, oh my God, when I reached 30, I should have all these things. Like all my friends and family have all these things because they work. They have jobs. I mean, not that I don't work. They have a salary. Mm. I don't have a salary. And by that, I mean that they get paid every two weeks. It just magically appears in your bank account. So you're, you are 32, even yep. though you don't feel like it. Let's not talk about it too much. And 10 years ago about you kind of made a decision to commit to doing art as your career or as your life. I was wondering how do you feel about where you are now? I feel okay about where I am. I do struggle sometimes because I, I maybe don't think about money in the other way that people think about money. And so maybe that does hurt me a little bit sometimes in terms of being able to do things or being able to achieve the looks and the feels that I want in my work. But it's very hard to do this. And I think I'm doing quite well for someone who's, I guess, maintaining integrity in their work. You know, that's the trade-off, isn't it? You can make for market or you can make for yourself or make for non-market. I kind of skirt on market, but I don't make my artwork for the art market. I think that's key in achieving your ultimate level of yourself and every of singularity. It's, that's your singularity, singularity moment where you reach that. That's what you're aiming for, I think, where, where everything comes together. Or your whole life and all of your memories and stories and knowledge and all those things come together and form these artworks, these objects that people respect and people like and recognise. I think that's the peak that you're sort of aiming for. And it's not whether you've got a fucking 10 houses and fucking five cars and some nice threads. Like, you know, who cares about that shit? Yeah, so it sounds like for you, in terms of what you're doing and where you're going, your focus is on maintaining the integrity of your work, being consistent, and patience. Patience, I think. <laughs> yes, number one is patience because as an artist, you, you'll you get abused, you'll get used, you'll get all these things done to you, and you just have to be resilient and patient with that sort of stuff. I think the commitment that you have to your work is really impressive. I don't want to say admirable because that doesn't seem like a big enough compliment that is a refreshing at the very least. Yeah, and I appreciate you speaking with me and sharing your wisdom. Not a problem. <laughs> Thanks. I just want to finish this episode by repeating something Stephen said in here. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, Success as an artist is when everything comes together. Your whole life and all your memories and stories and knowledge come together and form these artworks. That's the moment of singularity and that's what you're aiming for. I just, I think sometimes what we all do it for can seem really confusing and I really admire how focused that idea is. As always, for anything that was mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes. You can find them on our website, starvingartistpodcast.com. You can also find Stephen Payton's work at stephenpayton.com. And if you like the show, come find me or Starving Artist on social media or sign up to the mailing list. 
Last week, I sent out a big old post to the mailing list about Bo Burnham, self-promotion, brand building, and (laughs) massively questioning your artistic integrity. If that sounds interesting to you, you can sign up to the mailing list at starvingartistpodcast.com to get stuff like that in your inbox every so often. Editing help for this episode was provided by Peter C. Hayward. If you are able to, like, if you're not driving a car or holding a canary, please clap your hands for Peter, who edited over two and a half hours of audio down to 50 minutes for this episode. He is a talented motherfucker. As always, the intro music for Starving Artist is by me. And as you'll know, if you've listened to a few episodes, Starving Artist is made possible by everyone who supports me on Patreon. Now look, I usually mention Patreon at the end here, but I don't like spruik it hardcore because, well, it feels weird because it inherently means that I have to sort of say, hey, the thing I make is good and worth money. But you know what? It is my damn birthday on Friday, which may be today. And if you like this show, if you found it valuable, if it's made you feel less alone, less afraid, more okay, if it's meaningful to you and you want to make my 28th birthday like shit hot, please consider supporting me on Patreon. And if that doesn't sway you, I'm also actually giving away three copies of one of my favorite books, Making Your Life as an Artist, to folks in the Patreon this week. I've talked about this book a lot on this podcast and I mention it whenever I do an interview or a workshop or when I'm giving my neighborhood cat a pep talk on creative careers. It's one of the best, most succinct resources for creatives trying to make livable lives that I've ever come across. So if you want in on that, you can pledge $1 or more to support me making things by heading to patreon.com forward slash Honor Eastley. Okay, that bit's over. Love and holy fuck, I'm nearly 28. Definitely can't feasibly say I'm mid-20s anymore. Till next time, bye-bye.